From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. And welcome to my Halloween special. You know, here at the uh, Serrett household, we're having that age-old discussion. How old is too old to trick-or-treat? How old is too old? And our twin boys, North and Zach, they just turned 13 a couple of weeks ago. Uh, imagine now, Zach has size 12 shoes. North is getting close to my height. Zachary now towers above me. So the four of us were sitting around the breakfast table, me, North, Zach, the mighty Aphrodite, and we discussed it. We discussed it at length. What is the cutoff age to stop dressing up and going door to door asking for candy? We must have talked for an hour. And the boys made their arguments. The mighty Aphrodite made her points very well known. I made my argument. But in the end, I had to put my foot down. I said, listen, family. I've heard your points, but I've made my decision. I'm going. I want candy. I've got my costume and all picked out, and no one is going to stop me. And I don't want to hear anything more about it. So so there. Anyway, case closed. Uh, we've got two hours of ghost stories, tales of high strangeness, hauntings, you name it. And Jim Harold, one of the top podcasters in North America, uh, my friend from Cleveland is standing by. Jim is the host of several wildly successful podcasts, the Paranormal Podcast and Campfire, and a series of books uh, based on the Campfire Podcast. I've had Jim on Conspiracy Unlimited a number of times, and I've been on his podcast, but this is, I believe, his first time on the radio program. So, we're looking forward to that. Steve Asher is a former prison guard from Kentucky, and he joins me in Hour 2 to talk about Haunted Kentucky and high strangeness, including the uh, Kentucky State Penitentiary. Some haunting activity there where he worked, and I believe his father worked as well. At the bottom of hour two, David John Oates and Christian Cadieu from Reverse Speech Radio return uh, with some spooky reversals. We wanted to bring David back on before he flies off to Australia next week. He's been here a couple of weeks. We've had him on live in studio and uh, it's been a great time. Now, it's always a great pleasure to spend time with one of the great storytellers, a podcasting pioneer, author, the Paranormal Podcast, and Campfire. Jim Harold, welcome. How are you? Hi, Richard. Congratulations. I see on Libsyn.com, which is uh, your podcasting platform and mine, that you are like in the, the Hall of Fame there. They've got your photograph on the homepage along with uh, some of the other luminaries in the podcasting world. And what are you up to about, four, is it 40 million unique downloads I read recently? That's what the statistics say, and it's been great. I mean, I started this for fun. I had worked in radio behind the scenes, not behind the mic, and just started it as a hobby. So, you know, years later to be able to turn it into a full-time career and be on the air and talk to people all around the world about their spooky stories. It's been a real blessing. And uh, Campfire. How many years have you been doing Campfire? Just a few months ago celebrated the 10th anniversary of that. And that was just kind of a, a lark. You know, I uh, 
had my main show that I started 14 years ago, the Paranormal Podcast, and one week I didn't have a guest. And I said, well, I'll just have listeners call in with their stories. And that special episode was so popular, I said, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Why not make this its own show? And actually, Campfire, I think, is the show that resonates the most with people, and that's why I've been able to do this full time. That show has really kind of driven it. Right, and because it speaks to, I think, and you and I have talked about this before, but it's worth repeating, the idea of sitting around a campfire and telling stories, sharing stories, there's something incredibly primordial about that, something almost, it speaks to an innate need in the human condition, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think it is, and it's the funniest thing, Richard, and we talked about this as well. You know, you could talk to almost the most dyed-in-the-wool skeptic. Somebody says, I don't believe any of this stuff. But the thing is this. What happens is they'll go on about how they don't believe in anything, and they'll say, but there was this one time, and let me Mm -hmm. tell you what happened. (laughs) So I think everybody, most people have that one time at least, and if they don't, they know somebody they love and trust who has. Right. And tell us a little bit about Campfire for those who haven't heard it. What types of stories? It's not just limited to ghost stories. It's all about high strangeness, right? Exactly. I mean, we do everything from cryptids to UFOs to ghost stories, traditional ghost stories. And then what I call, and these are my favorite ones, they're uh, very much in the high strangeness camp of head scratchers. Kind of like, what was that all about? And a lot of times the storyteller will say, I really don't know what it was about. I just know it was really, really weird. To me, that always lends a degree of credibility to a story. When someone, they're scratching their heads too because they don't have it all figured out. They're not saying, well, this is what I saw and this is what it was. They're saying, I don't know what the heck happened, but it, as far as I can tell, it happened and here it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the thing is, is that a lot of times I get people like that. You know, you get people who are maybe more sensitive and they say, you know, this happens to me on a regular basis. But sometimes the stories I appreciate, I appreciate them all. But the ones I appreciate the most are somebody who says, well, nothing strange has ever happened to me before. But listen to this. This one was Mm -hmm. really wild. We talked about this on my podcast recently, and you shared this story. It has to do with a roadhouse. (laughs) This is a mind blower, and you tell it so well. Can you share that with us? Oh, yes, yes. This was from T.I. up in Michigan, and at the time she was up in the state of Wisconsin, and her and a friend of hers, Bob, went to see a band play, and it was kind of in this set-off bar in a rural area. So they closed the place down, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and they were going back home. It was about an hour to where they they both lived. They lived separately. They were just friends. But uh, they were driving back to their hometown. And uh, anyhow, T.I. tells Bob, she says, Bob, you know, nature is calling. And they were still a good ways from their home, maybe 45 minutes. And he said, well, you know, there's nothing out here. You've got the bushes. And she said, well, no, that's okay. Just drive fast, drive fast. So anyway, they go down the road another 15, 20 minutes, and they happen upon this set-off bar. And there's cars, and you can actually hear the music from the outside. The joint is jumping, as they say. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, that's kind of weird. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. This makes no sense. This should be closed down. But let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. Let's go in and take advantage of it. So uh, 
Bob went to the barn, got a couple drinks, and T.I. Uh, took care of the situation and came back, and they were having their drink. And Bob said, you know, I'm really glad we came here because there's this great mural on the wall. And uh, it's an old West mural, and I've heard a lot about it, never seen it. And Bob was an artist, so he said, let's take a look at it. And it was really neatly laid out. And it was a bar, and there were some saloon girls, and there were swinging doors, and all the things you would expect out of a, a Western, like you used to see in the movies and TV. Right. right. And the weird thing was, is that the people, the real-life humans in the bar, were in the picture. And they thought, well, that's mm-hmm. odd. And Bob says, well, you know, this these may be regulars, and this is just like an homage to them, okay? So anyway, this guy comes up. He, he They have an old jukebox with records, like one of those old bubbler, Wolitzer. Uh, oh, Wolitzer, yes. And, yeah, the, and, and he plays Chubby Checker to Let's Twist Again. And he goes up to T.I., and he, he doesn't talk, but he motions like he wants her to dance. And he said, had these old, nasty brown teeth. And that's the other thing. Pete, nobody's talking. They're just kind of smiling and kind of kind of, kind of strange. And he uh, uses a cane and showed him the cane and said, no, no, I can't dance. And she said she was glad she had that to kind of nicely tell him that she didn't want to dance. So anyway, they're playing chubby checker, and they keep looking at this mural. And the people are smiling at them, but not exactly talking. It's kind of weird. And they look by the swinging doors, and they notice something they didn't notice at the beginning. There's two figures in the door, very misty. One's mm-hmm. shorter, one's taller. One's a woman, one's a man. And they look, and it seems to develop more and more like an old Polaroid picture. And all of a sudden, T.I. notices it seems to be a woman and a man. The woman has curly hair and boots. T.I. has curly hair and boots. And then the female figure, a cane, comes into view. And T.I. and Bob look at each other and realize they're developing into those doors in the picture. Oh, and they say, let's my. get out of here. <laughs> so anyway, they get up to go out, and the people start kind of motioning back and saying, come back, come back, come back. They closed the door, and T.I. said the whole place went dark like it had never been open. No neon signs, no music, and oh, by the way, there is a car, one car in the parking lot. They get ready to leave, and they said, let's get out of here. And Bob kind of peels out. They leave the parking lot. But T.I. is a much braver sort, a braver person than I am. And in a couple days, she goes back, either with her friend or her sister, I can't remember who. And they go in, and, you know, T.I.'s wondering, what did we get trapped in? Was this like a Twilight Zone or another dimension? Would we have been lost in that picture? She's just puzzled. So she goes back. She walks in. She sees a jukebox, sure enough. But it's not one of those old vinyl, Wolitzer bubblers. No, it's a modern CD jukebox. Oh, and she looks at the selections. No, let's twist again. No chubby checker. Then she talks to the bartender, who happens to be a woman. And she says, young lady, uh, I was just here the other day. It was, you know, the place was vibrant, lots of people here. And there was this really young, good-looking bartender. Where's he at? And <laughs> the woman said, young guy, bartender, we don't have anybody like that. It's just me and my elderly father. 
<laughs> and with that, T.I. <laughs> and her friend or her sister left the Roadhouse Saloon wondering, did they get stuck in the Twilight Zone? Now, there is a little kicker to this, Richard. <laughs> this place exists. My listeners oh, it have does. gone oh. and have taken pictures. And there is a mural. There's nobody in the swinging doors. There is an old Western mural. There is a Roadhouse Saloon. I've seen the pictures. In fact, I've even called the place trying to get interviews with no luck. The place amazing exists. Aha. That's so, so there cool. You go. That's the Roadhouse Saloon, and that's the ultimate head-scratcher for me. I'll say. Now, uh, has that found its way, that particular story, into one of the Campfire books, which have has been a wonderful uh, spin-off of the podcast? You've, I think you're on, is it book number, volume number five? Yes, I've gone through five. I've been a couple of years tardy here putting out a new one, but we're going to get on that. I wanted to put one out this year, but just got too busy. But yes, I believe that may be in book two, I think, off the top of my head. But we have five books, and each one has 70 stories, 70 of the best stories from Camp Fire, and they're available on uh, Kindle and in paperback. So people really seem to love having the, the stories kind of as keepsake in another way to, to, to share the content with folks. Right. Uh, that's a great story. Is there another one that maybe sticks with you because it's not only left you scratching your head, but maybe it's kind of disturbing. It's it 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 haunts you in a way. Well, uh, this one is really kind of haunting, and it really makes you wonder what in the world happened. Um, this was from a police officer. He didn't give his town for obvious reasons. It was in the American Southwest, and he was working a graveyard shift. And they got a call that there was a naked man who was jumping off of a bridge and and acting like he was feral, like he was wild. And they got there, him and his partner, and the guy was, you know, his mouth was bloody. Uh, He didn't seem to speak English or anything. He more kind of growled and grunted. Um, they, They finally got him subdued. The guy, I won't go into graphic detail, but he relieved himself in a most disgusting oh, way while they're trying to arrest him. Just really wild. So anyway, they're, they're the local cops, and they're taking care of him. All of a sudden, nobody called him, but Highway Patrol uh, comes up and says, we'll take this from here. And the weird thing was, A, nobody called him, and B, usually uh, our caller works in that area, and he knows the guys who work highway patrol. He never noticed these guys. But he took down the badge number of the one patrolman because he had to fill out his report, right? So, and and this guy was just, he said it was like he was a, a wild man. I mean, he was biting, he was gnashing, he was scratching, he was grunting, he was doing other things that I won't mention, as I said. So anyway, uh, and then an ambulance pulls up. And the officer doesn't recognize the ambulance service either, but takes down all the information. And he goes back to the station, and he's talking to some of his colleagues. And he said, you know, do you know uh, highway patrol people by this description? Because they, they know these guys, and nobody could place it. They, he called one of the dispatchers. He tried to run the, the badge number, and he tried to run the ambulance number. They came up with nothing. 
And this almost sounds like to me, Richard, like, and this fits perfectly for the conspiracy show, like, uh, right. you know, a governmental experiment gone wrong and, and somebody <laughs> being loose from a lab and they send out this fake police and this fake ambulance service. And this guy, this caller, uh, I believe his name was Dave, he was just so sincere. And he said, you know, I've been a cop for quite a while and I've never seen anything like it. Nobody knew who these guys were. Usually the highway patrol's very pleasant and collegial, and they get along well, and these guys were gruff. I'm like, oh, we'll take it from here. And this ambulance service from this unknown company, and every check he ran came up total blank. So that, to me, is very disturbing. I'll say. Very disturbing, <laughs> bizarre. One of the things I love about not only your podcast but the just the stories they are they are truly original. You know there are there are ghost stories and and tales of high strangeness, and then there are legends that tend to get sort of repeated. They become part of uh, culture, right. and you know everyone has, for example, uh, not everyone, but the Crybaby Bridge, which is an, a, a story where you know it seems like every small town right. in Middle America has a Crybaby Bridge. It turns yeah. out it's just you know rusty bolts in the bridge, but it sounds like a crying baby. But what you bring to the table, Jim, these are truly original. I mean, I've never heard these before. No, they they are, and I do, and occasionally you'll get things that are somewhat you know. Uh, derivative or I've heard something like that but the thing is Richard and I'm sure when you do these types of things you get a similar thing man I've heard it all 10 years of doing this hundreds mm. and hundreds of calls uh, I've heard it all and then somebody will call in with a new one I had one like that a couple weeks ago if you want me to share it and it's not it, it, it's really you ask me if one haunted or disturbed me this one kind of did but I don't know how I feel about it there's a couple well, different ways to take it Let's uh, let's tell that story. I'll get you to tell that story on the other side. You know what else I want you to tell? This is a story you brought to my attention, uh, that, and I went on to feature that story on my late podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's the story of the singing fisherman, the late, great Johnny Horton. And do you remember? You know the story I'm talking oh, yeah. about. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll get you to tell that one because no one tells it like Jim Harold. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. And welcome back. Jim Harold is among America's most popular paranormal podcast hosts with his free programs, the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. And he's really developed a loyal following over the last 14 years that spans the globe. After over a, a decade of working in the business uh, side of media, he decided it was time to dust off his own broadcasting uh, training and step back behind the microphone. And uh, Jim has a lifelong interest in the paranormal, combined with his love of broadcasting and technology, uh, have resulted in some of the most successful podcasts of their type to date. In fact, he has uh, recently been uh, honored at Libsyn.com as, uh, as one of the great podcasters in North America. We're happy to have him here, and he's... Uh, uh, well, we're kicking around some uh, kick, uh, ghost stories and, and tales of high strangeness. And uh, before we get to the Johnny Horton story, 
you were going to share a, a, another one that, that you say kind of haunts and disturbs you. Yeah, because part of it makes me feel good, and the other part makes me go, huh. So this is just recently in the last month. Uh, we had the caller, Kevin. He's from the American South. And he called up, and he told me this story. This happened to him about 10 years ago. He was sitting around his house, and he was watching TV. He was probably in his early 40s at the time. And the phone rang. He didn't recognize the number, but he picked it up, and he said hello. And he said on the other end, there was a very kind and uh, gentle voice uh, on the line. He said, Kevin, how are you doing? I, I want to check in on you. And Kevin, figuring, well, this guy's being nice. I'll be nice. He said, uh, well, I, I'm doing fine. And this gentleman on the other end of the line says, well, you know, Kevin, I haven't heard from you in a while, and I just, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. I'm going to be seeing you soon. I wanted to make sure you're doing all right. And Kevin said, well, you know, he thought to himself, I better find out who this is. This guy might show up at my house. <laughs> Maybe this is somebody I know. I'm just not uh, making the making the connection here. And uh, Kevin says, well, sir, uh, thank you for checking in on me. Uh, who is this, by the way? And the voice on the other end of the line says, well, Kevin, this, this is Jesus. And Kevin says, well, thank you. Thank you very much for calling. And then he hangs up figuring. He was nice, but he, he hung up figuring that, okay, somebody's pranking me. A week later, Kevin has a massive heart attack and almost dies. He was so close to death that they had, at the hospital, they had called the family and called the chaplain in to be there when he passed. He narrowly missed death. Uh, to, and he's gone on to have some other health crises, but he's been okay. But the thing is, he's never been able to place that call. He, At the time it happened, he looked at his call history, and all the calls were there. And this reminds me of your your one story, all the calls were there except for this one. Mm. And, um, you know, who knows, Richard? Who knows? You know, it's one of wow. those, those... It reminds me of your R. Gary Patterson story. But the thing yes. is, is that... Who am I to say that Kevin's making that up? And, yeah, could have it been somebody pranking him? Yes. But, boy, what a coincidence. A week before he has a near-fatal heart attack... And the voice on the other end not only says he's Jesus, he says, I'm going to be seeing you soon. It's something right. that makes you think. Right. Something that makes uh, you, you think. Know, it's, you know, of course, it's possible he was pranked. It's, it might even be likely that he was pranked. But to me, those are life, those are faith affirming stories. I love those stories. You mentioned yeah. uh, our Gary, uh, and I won't repeat the story. I, I've told it, you know, a number of times. I, I, and you were kind enough to have me on. Uh, your your podcast to share that story. Uh, I will ask one question. <laughs> Do you think that would ever make it into one of the campfire volumes? If you wanted to, absolutely, absolutely. I think that is such a great story that you had. And the fact that it, again, a, a series of strange, quote, coincidences, but the timing of that call after... You know, after he supposedly passed and so forth. No, that's a tr I consider that to be uh, one of the greatest campfire stories we've had. Wow. Well, you know, I I ask. It's a way of preserving Gary's memory as well. Uh, you know, obviously he lives on with with so many uh, generations of students that he taught and so forth. But it would not. It'd be nice 
to have that story sort of captured on permanent record, not just out there in the ether, but uh, in one of your fine books, I, you know, that would be uh, well. That would I be a will great honor. put it in. I will put it in the next one then, because I think that it is um, it's a great campfire story, and it kind of speaks to that story and, and some of these stories I've been telling tonight. It's just the. The the best phrase is, and I know it's a big phrase for like a Linda Moulton Holland thing, high strangeness. Mm. They're not stories that really fit in a category. They're just strange, and I believe they're true. Right, and it it uh, it, it's, it, it remains a head scratcher for me, and the most the strangest thing that has happened in my life, uh, bar none. And I continue to grapple with it. And for those who want to hear the full story, uh, they can go to, uh, uh, that was on Campfire, right? I Not the Paranormal Podcast. I believe right. it was Campfire, I think so, yeah. So oh. they can go to, uh, they can go to the website and, yeah, yeah. uh, prob- probably find that. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story. We may, I may even uh, include it in uh, this week's Halloween special. So that would be the best way for him to find it. I will put it in this week's Campfire Halloween special. How about that? Oh, what an honor. Uh, give folks the uh, the website so they can uh, listen and subscribe to the podcasts. Sure, it's jimherald.com, J-I-M-H-A-R-O-L-D.com, and that should be up sometime Thursday. So I hope everybody will get a chance to tune in and We'll, of course, include uh, Richard's story of our Gary Patterson. It's a very dramatic one. Fantastic. I'd like to start the Johnny Horton story. If we run into the break, we can continue after. I did an episode on the, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone after hearing about this from you. And yeah. uh, I did a little research. It is a, an amazing story. Johnny Horton, back in the early 60s, they called him the Singing Fisherman and all of his songs sort of contained a, a wonderful history lesson. He didn't write them, but he sang them so well. Sink the Battle Bismarck, of New yeah. Orleans and uh, North to Alaska. They had that kind of, as you said, Johnny Reb. They had that kind of historical feel. That was kind of his his niche in the late fifties. There. Right, right. So tell me about Johnny Horton and his musical partner. Yeah, he had a very good friend by the name of Merle Kilgore, who actually went on to become Hank Williams Jr. manager. He was an artist in his own right, and he was a very successful songwriter. And probably the song he was best known for was the huge Johnny Cash hit, Ring of Fire, which later was the name of the biopic made about Johnny Cash and his life. So anyway, Johnny Horton had talked with Merle Kilgore, who was, I think, his best friend, They were contemporaries in country music. They had talked about the other side, and Horton was supposedly a big believer in it. Well, anyway, they had worked out a code that if one of the other passed, they would get the message back, kind of Houdini style, right? And the phrase was, the drummer is a rummer, and he can't hold the beat. So they worked this out, and uh, actually folks want to read this story it's on uh nashvillemusicguide.com growing up kilgore the johnny horton story by uh kilgore's son stephen kilgore right and that code phrase came from horton's disdain for drunk musicians he had a thing about drunks right yeah that's my understanding yes and again it was the drummer is a rummer and he can't hold the beat well ironically I guess a week after they made this code, according to Stephen's uh, account of this, a drunk driver hit 
Johnny Horton's Cadillac in a head-on collision, and Johnny Horton was killed. So time went on, and one night there was a rainout of a baseball game, I, I think uh, in Cincinnati. Yes. And uh, basically what happened was is the disc jockey or whatever said, well, here's a song from a friend of mine, Merle Kilgore, Ring of Fire. Well, apparently a group of psychics had heard this. They were not country music fans. But they got a hold of Kilgore, and they said, Mr. Kilgore, uh, we're psychics. We don't know anything about country music, but someone has been communicating with us from the other side, and they've been he's been communicating your name, Merle Kilgore. And up until we heard you on the radio, we had no idea who you were. And uh, Kilgore talked to them and said, Mr. Kilgore, it's the strangest thing, though. He, he this, this is Johnny. This is a Johnny who's trying to talk to you. And, uh, and he said he had a message, but we can't make any sense of it whatsoever. So Kilgore waits, and he said, yeah, the, the message doesn't make any sense. It's the drummer is a rummer, and he can't hold the beat. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Kilgore was absolutely freaked out. And uh, there you have it. And I heard this story, uh, I mean, probably in the 80s or 90s. I heard it retold by the famous uh, country music uh, DJ uh, Ralph Emery from WSM, that big, huge, uh, clear channel down in Nashville. And um, I just thought that was um, that was uh, just a... I never forgot that story all these years. So when I heard you had the rock and roll Twilight Zone, I said, well, it's not quite rock and roll, but... I think uh, country music and rock and roll are definitely cousins, and I thought that was one that was worthy for the show because it really is right. remarkable. Because that is, I mean, if you believe Kilgore's accounting, now he's since passed as well, but if you believe Kilgore's accounting of this, what other explanation would there be other than proof of life after death and communication for beyond the grave? Absolutely. I love those stories, and I love the way you tell that story. Jim, hold on. We'll take another time out. Come back. Uh, more tales from around Jim Harold's campfire when we come back. I'm Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Keeping an eye. On the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sabat. Welcome back. Jim Harold is here. I can't believe I've not had you on the radio show. What a horrible transgression on my part. I mean, I've had you on the, the podcast, but I'm so glad we're rectifying that, and uh, I promise you're going to come back again and again. I, you know, Jim, I could just listen to you tell these tales all night. As we, you know, talking about Halloween and, and, um, uh, my boys are, um, heading over to their uncle and aunt's later this week and they're gonna get together with their other cousins and they're gonna have a scary movie night and they're gonna sleep over. What to you, what for you is sort of the ultimate, uh, scary film? Do you have, you know, for me it's, oh. I love the Hammer films, Dracula and oh, Frankenstein yeah. and all of those. What, what is it for you? I love things that, uh, I love a, a little psychological thriller to mine. Uh, some of the scary ones for me are things like The Shining, or, mm. um, one that really has always creeped me out is Rosemary's Baby, you know, going yes. back a little bit. 
Um, certainly the exorcist, although I find that disturbing uh, to a point, but the thing is is that I like those ones that have that little psychological uh, element. I mean, you know, with the, with the Friday the 13th and all the Hostel and all the movies they have now, I mean, uh, how much, uh, you know, corn syrup, uh, fake blood can you look at? I mean, that doesn't do a lot for me. I, I prefer, uh, movies like you talked about, some of those old classics, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and all that great stuff, and then yes. the psychological thrillers. Of course, the Hitchcock movies as well. I'm a big fan of, uh, Hitchcock. That's, that's the stuff that I love. Right. C-SPAN is also very scary. <laughs> oh, you, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you know, you guys just got through an election, but man, down here it's, uh, it's a madhouse. It's, uh, it's crazier than any hall of mirrors or haunted house. <laughs> you mentioned the exorcist, and we actually have a rule in this house. It's the mighty Aphrodite. She, and I'm happy to oblige. That movie is, is never to be watched in this house. We're not I to come understand. home from the, I understand. We're not to come, yeah, we're not to bring the, you know, we can't go to the library and bring home a copy. It is not to, to, to cross the threshold. Because I do believe, uh, that when you, some, when you watch those types of movies, it's almost, you're opening yourself up. It's almost an invitation. What do you think? Well, well it might be. And boy, you are a master of a segue because I have a Ouija board story if you want to hear it. Ooh, would love to. <laughs> Lay it on me, brother. So this this was from a few years ago, very early on the podcast. And um, this young lady, I believe she was from North or South Carolina, somewhere there. Her and uh, a friend, and they were teenage girls. They thought, like a lot of kids, they were having a sleepover. And they said, won't it be fun to play with the Ouija board? So basically they get the Ouija board out. They turn out all the lights. And they have candles, and then they have a lava lamp. Uh, Richard, I'm sure you remember lava lamps that have that glue oh, yes. stuff in the middle. Yes. So anyway, they're asking it different things, and they're getting responses. And the one girl says, "Well," and basically this this uh, thing claims that it's a demon. Uh, on the responses they're getting on the board, and the one girl says, "Well, if you're a demon, show us." Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the candles go out, and then the lava lamp, which is on, it's like a red lava lamp, the gloop, they start looking at it, and it starts forming, and it starts forming, and they see what looks like a face, and then they see what looks like teeth, gnashing teeth, bearing teeth, and the face of a devil. And then our caller said, they immediately closed the board. And the gloop went back to just plain old gloop. So maybe they did invite something in, and maybe it came through a lava lamp. Right, right. I was on uh, uh, Coast last night, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Friday night, rather. Friday night we did open lines, and I asked for stories about uh, bad experiences with Ouija boards. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't trifle with them. I can't believe, you know, that they sell those in, in toy stores. Is it Parker Brothers or whoever does? Yeah, I think, but, it, uh, I think it is Parker Brothers. I mean, there is sort of a protocol. I mean, if you don't close the session, the Ouija board session properly, you leave that portal open. Uh, you know, who knows what, what will walk through it? And, and I had callers who had, uh, 
you know, been involved in a Ouija board session. It wasn't closed. And they had practically a lifetime of poltergeist activity, unexplained phenomena in their house, sickness, things like that. Uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's psychosomatic. I don't know, but I don't think it's to be trifled with. Would you allow your, did you allow your kids to play with a Ouija board? We've, my wife does have one from when she was teenage years, but we've never brought it out and let them play with it. No, I'm not, I'm not for that. In fact, we probably should get rid of it. <laughs> but, but good luck. That, they keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I have somebody who told me that, that they had a Ouija board that kept like reappearing. I even had one claim, one person claim that they had one that walked across a room inchworm style if you remember that old toy oh. the little riding toy an inchworm yes or yes. or an actual inchworm it, it, and then he said they tried to burn it and it wouldn't burn and then when they burnt the planchette it actually burnt but but um i think about here's what i think about the um ouija board or, or one of my thoughts about it is that i've had people on the shows like karen dahlman and the late rosemary uh, Ellen mm. Giley, who, by the way, was just fantastic. Yeah, and, and I miss her. And a good person. But anyway, uh, and then he would say, well, it's just a tool. Well, a chainsaw is just a tool as well. <laughs> now, you see these guys that can take a chainsaw, right? And they can make these beautiful sculptures or ice sculptures or wood sculptures. Now, Richard, if you hand me a running chainsaw, the thing I'm most likely to cut is my arm and cut it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe there's some use for it. If you are well versed in it, but I, uh, you know, I, I think it can be uh, dangerous if used in the wrong way. I agree, not for amateurs. Uh, Jim, no. stay put. We'll uh, we'll come back. One more segment of great stories from the great podcaster Jim Harold, right here on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. yourself in you're about to leave everything you thought you knew behind the conspiracy show with richard sarah great job with the bumper music tonight owen really setting the mood for us jim harold is with us coming up at the top of the hour steve e asher former prison guard who worked uh, among other places at the uh, kentucky state penitentiary uh, where they have a death row uh, his father was a prison guard there as well, and uh, Steve is now a paranormal investigator, uh, a podcaster himself, the House of Asher, which is a great name for those of you who remember the House of Usher. And um, he has a new YouTube series coming out, which kind of looks at the dark side of history and strange Kentucky. So uh, Steve will be along uh, momentarily. Uh, Jim Harold, do you know Steve Asher? Have you had him on your podcast? I have. I don't think I have, um, if I'm remembering correctly, but it sounds like an oversight. I need to get on that. <laughs> oh, he's terrific. Yeah, he's terrific. Uh, so, do you have another ghost story for Oh, no. Uh, I've got l- one. Let me just back. Yeah, okay. Yep. Do that, and then I, uh, then I want to pursue another area. But let's, yeah, share another ghost story, okay. if you could. Well, this is, this, well, 
anyway, this, this guy in L.A. called a couple months back, said that he had gone to an estate sale. And it seen a lot of things there he liked, but they were very pricey. So uh, it was the next to last day. And he gave the lady his card and said, you know, this is a little beyond my budget right now, but if you end up with any surplus, give me a call. And so the next day, sure enough, after the sale was over, she, she called him, or maybe a day or two later, and said, you know, I really liked your approach. You're very respectful, very nice guy. And, you know, these people here are trying to take advantage of me. Come down and get some of this stuff. I'll give you a good deal. So anyway, the PC was looking at, he ended up getting that and got a good deal on it. And she said, you know what? I want to throw in this mirror. This looks like this mirror is meant for you. And he said, okay, thanks. So he goes home, and he puts this old mirror up against a, a wall in a, a bedroom, his bedroom upstairs. I'm kind of picturing one of those old, real heavy, leaden mirrors. Right, right. So anyway, he's asleep one day. It's uh, I think his wife is at work. And he, he wakes up, and he, he's pointed towards the mirror, and he sees a group of people in his room. And they're dressed in older-time clothing, and they're all very uh, kind of blurry, except for one man, he says. Kind of like that, that effect you see in pictures today where the one person is sharp and the people behind him are fuzzy and blurry. Right. And the guy right. walks up to him, and, and Michael is my caller's name, and he keeps rubbing his eyes thinking, am I dreaming this? What's going on? Sure enough, he's not dreaming it. This guy walks up to him, he said. He looks at Michael and kind of leans down and says, we came with the mirror. Oh, my. <laughs> and then the guy says, get this, wait, wait, he says, he says, we like to dance. We didn't get to finish our last dance. That's where you come in. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> So anyway, he ends up getting a paranormal investigator, and and he takes does some uh, EVP electronic voice phenomena sessions, and uh, doesn't hear back from. Him. He calls the guy, figures there's nothing that it's just in his imagination, and he said, "Oh no, this is one of the most active places uh, I've come." He brought the recordings back to his house, played it for him. Uh, the voice was talking about demons and so forth. And I, I asked Michael, I said, well, didn't that freak you out? And he said, well, no, because I was part of a theater group called the Demon Acting Group or something like that. And I said, mm. that would still freak me out either way. And I believe uh, Michael has said that things have calmed down. And there's no problem. But just that one statement, you know, we came with the mirror, we like to dance. We didn't get our last dance. That's where you come in. I mean, whoa. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I wonder what, I that was I wonder what the song story. was. It's a great story. I wonder what that last song was. Chubby Checker, Let's Twist Again. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe maybe they were twisting. Now, you have a I, – I, 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 I stalk you on Facebook, Jim, but you, uh, you have a, a, a jukebox that you purchased recently, I believe. Well, my wife got it for my 50th birthday, so that was right. very cool. Yeah, I love that. And and somebody, I posted that, and they said, is that the one from the Roadhouse Saloon? I said, no, That's, no, no. I was, <laughs> was going to ask you that. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if I'd want that in my house, Richard, though. I'm afraid no, that I'd no. enter some kind of portal and I wouldn't be able to come out. Well, speaking of portals, uh, I was speaking with Brent Rains, who's written a, a, a wonderful new book about uh, the life and very odd times of uh, John A. Keel, 
uh, of course, of uh, the Mothman prophecies fame. And uh, Keel talked about the Ohio Valley. And um, I guess the Ohio Valley maybe extends into West Virginia and where the Mothman uh, prophecies took place. And, of course, there was so much bizarre, apparently enough going on there. He said he could have filled six books, um, uh, you know, about the events surrounding 66, 67. But you're, you're in you're in Cleveland. And I'm just wondering, I mean, I know you get calls from all over uh, North America, but do you think there's something particular or peculiar uh, or paranormal about the, 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 the Ohio Valley? Well, the Ohio Valley is typically an area southern Ohio, West Virginia, and so forth, as you, you said. And the thing is, oddly enough, my family was originally from West Virginia, and my parents had their own weird supernatural story. I know we're short on time, but basically they were driving. They were in a pullover spot, kind of lover's lane. I don't want to know about it. But anyway, <laughs> there was a huge, huge, I was about a year old, and I was with my grandma, and there was a huge flash in the sky. My dad said there was a man who appeared next to the car and had on a, quote, welding mask. And then my late mom, God bless her soul, as they drove off, she said, we saw the biggest birds up against the bank, and they had the biggest wings I ever saw. And uh, that reminded me now, it was a different part of West Virginia, but it reminded me so much of the Mothman stories. And that was probably around 1970, which isn't too far removed from the Mothman stories from around 66. So I always wondered personally uh, if, if I think a lot of times rural areas, you see a lot of activity because there's not many people around. So if there's experiments or there's high strangeness or if, you know, whether our government wants to do experiments, the U.S. government, or if uh, aliens want to do something, well, they're probably going to try to go to some place that's less populated. So I think it's a possibility. Right, right. Well, w- one of the things I learned is that the um, these winged creatures, the, the Mothman-type sightings, uh, it, it wasn't an isolated thing. And, and it turns out there were hundreds of sightings uh, before, during, and after you know, the episodes in 66 and 67. So, uh, yeah. who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Tell, and I think we're in a very strange world, Richard. I'll de- oh, oh, yes. And it's, uh, uh lucky for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Lucky for Job us. Job security. Job security. <laughs> uh, tell folks again how they can listen to your wonderful podcasts. JimHerald.com, or you can find it on virtually any major audio app these days, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and a bunch of radio company things, and uh, basically almost any web app out there now for audio you can listen to the show. So just look up Jim Harold H-A-R-O-L-D. And if people have a great story that they want to share on Campfire, how do they uh, get about, how do they go about doing that? go to jimherald.com slash campfire. Unfortunately, we've paused submissions for a while because we just have too many stories and we have to catch up, but we'll be reopening that. But keep hold of jimherald.com slash campfire to submit that story when we're uh, open back up for submissions. Too many scary stories. That's a good problem to have. Jim, uh, what a pleasure, and uh, I'm going to have to get you back on again soon. You're just terrific. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, the feeling is mutual, sir, and happy Halloween. And don't get a stomach ache from all that candy. I'll pace myself, I promise. Jim Harold. All right, when we come back, Steve Asher. Wait till you meet this guy. 
uh, not only is he just an incredibly uh, generous and warm and, and uh, fun individual, uh, but he's a terrific writer. And he has uh, three books uh, in his Haunted Kentucky series, uh, the, uh, the Hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, where I believe he worked as a prison guard, as did his father. And uh, the uh, the hauntings of the Western Lunatic Asylum, and the hauntings of uh, the St. Vincent Academy, and he'll share some of those stories and much more. Steve Asher coming up, Haunted Kentucky on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.